two passages of scripture this morning. Book of Psalms, please. Psalm chapter number 27. And Isaiah chapter number 53. Psalm 27 and Isaiah 53. Psalm 27 and Isaiah 53. I do appreciate your participation in the service. Appreciate the musicians, the Bible readers, all the different people who had a part in the service and those who prayed for the service ahead of time. I appreciate that. It's a joy and a privilege to minister with you. Two passages of scripture that we'll be considering this morning. Both of them are actually fairly familiar to you. So Psalm chapter number 27, verse number 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Let's read that again. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Now if you turn to Isaiah chapter number 53, please. Another very famous verse. Verse number 2. For he shall go up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Let's read that again. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. These passages of Scripture have a seeming contradiction. David says, all I want to do is dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his beauty. And Isaiah says, he doesn't have any. Now, to the thinking person, it is not very difficult to reconcile these two passages of Scripture. David saying, I want to behold the beauty, and Isaiah saying, He doesn't have any. Our forefathers had a saying. You know I like old sayings. Our forefathers had a saying. And the saying is, beauty is only skin deep. Beauty is only skin deep. A less eloquent and uh, younger brother of our forefathers added a little later, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly runs clear through. We are all aware that some people on the planet have a much more pleasing look than others. Their DNA code has caused their facial features to be more pleasant and properly shaped and properly spaced. We call that beauty. But that beauty is, as our forefathers said, only skin deep. Inside, we all pretty much look the same. 
And nobody wants to see your liver or your gallbladder. It just doesn't do anything for anybody. We're not that enthused about that. Beauty, on the outside, it's only skin deep. According to Isaiah, Christ did not have this type of beauty. It's interesting, he could have chosen to, to have that. But he instead chose to not have that. His facial, facial features, his physical attributes were not such that would draw people to himself. It would not, did not make him popular, like the physical beauty has a tendency to do in our world. He chose not to have the beauty that is only skin deep. But what did our less eloquent forefather mean when he added the phrase, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly runs clear through? What did our less eloquent forefather mean by that? I'm not talking about a person that isn't pleasant to look at. That kind of ugly is only skin deep. What kind of ugliness runs clear through? Now, we are all very familiar with famous people who got that way because they are the most beautiful people to look at on the planet. We're all aware of those people. But very often we find when you get through that layer of skin, you find someone who is ugly. Some of the ugliest people in the world have the most beautiful skin on the outside. We find them vain and arrogant and demanding and selfish and childish and irritating. The beauty is only skin deep, but the ugly runs clear through. The Lord Jesus did not have exter external physical beauty. The beauty often admired by people. But in the Lord Jesus, we find true beauty. And I want to look at that this morning. The title of this morning's message is, The Beauty of Christ. The Beauty of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we look up to you, knowing that we cannot get where we need to go from here on our own. Our minds are not capable. Our wills are not strong enough. We just aren't able, Father. But you have given your spirit for such a time as this. To speak to our spirit, to draw us into truth, and to reveal the Lord Jesus to us. Father, we do not presume to tell you what needs to be done in this auditorium. We know that you already know that. We do not come trying to earn what you need to do. For the Lord Jesus has already purchased that. We just come as simply as we know how, as little children who come to their father asking for their daily needs. And we ask that you would meet them in this auditorium without exception. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. David says in Psalm 27, that his one desire in life was to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold his beauty. 
As I sat and contemplated that this week, I have to admit, I was struggling, trying to get this beauty to come to mind, to get a handle on, get my mind to wrap around. I just couldn't get my mind to wrap around the definition and the, all the, this, the nuances of the beauty of the Lord. And then a thought struck me. Very often, in order to comprehend something, it's helpful to look at its opposite. When you're trying to learn one thing, if you look at the opposite of it, it helps the, the positive of it look, be more clear. So I asked myself this question. What do we consider ugliness in humans? Not the physical features that they're born with, but the ugliness that runs clear through. What do we consider ugly? And I started to make a list of what we say is that was ugly. Have you ever said that? That was ugly. And here's my, the list that I made as I was thinking, what do we declare as ugly? First thing on my list was ugly words. Have you ever heard ugly words come out of someone's mouth? I know that you have. And then I wrote down ugly actions, ugly deeds. We have all seen people do things that were just plain ugly. We have ugly attitudes. We have ugly purposes or desires. And all of these four things actually work together to produce ugly results. And those results very often leave people with ugly scars. And those results work together to give us an ugly future. That's what we call ugly. They have these ugly actions. They have these ugly words. They have these ugly purposes. Now, I think that almost everybody here understood what I just said. And as I said ugly words, you heard those ugly words in your ears. And as I said ugly actions, I thought and you came to your mind, that was ugly that that person did. And an ugly purpose, you define that in, as, as something that you know. We are all aware of these things. And in our understanding of the ugliness of this world, we can see the true beauty of Jesus Christ. So let's work through the list very carefully. Wonder number one, in the true beauty of Christ, we find beauty in Christ's words. We find beauty in Christ's words. I've asked this question dozens of times, and I always get the same answer. I won't ask you this morning um, to answer this, because I know what the answer will be. But if I would ask this question again, how many of you, and I'm not asking the question, but uh, how many of you can remember ugly words that were said to you more than half your life ago? I won't ask the question because I already know the answer. At least 90%, if not 100% of the people in this room who were honest would raise their hand and say, I remember ugly words that somebody said to me when I was 12. They're 80 now. I remember ugly words that were said to me when I was just a kid. We all are aware of ugly words. And those ugly words have hurt for all of these years. I will not do this, but if I gave you each a piece of paper, and I said, I want you to start writing down 
all of the ugly words that you could remember saying. I would not do that in this auditorium. Because everybody here, after about two minutes, would be hiding underneath the pews for pure embarrassment of all of the ugly things that you, not all that you just said, all that you can remember that you said. And you'd say, I just don't even think I can show my face in public after having been reminded of all of the ugly things that I have said down through the years, the ugly words that pour out of our mouths. But you know, in Jesus Christ, we find no such ugliness in his words. We only find in his words beauty. Think of the words of Jesus Christ. You realize that Shakespeare has entertained people with his words for over 400 years. Do you realize that for 2,000 years, the words of Christ have changed men's lives? Not just merely entertained them, made them enjoy some play, but for 2,000 years, the words of Christ have changed men, brought help and comfort to their souls. What words have been spoken that could ever rival Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Literally millions of messages have been preached from those three chapters. These words that the Lord said, those very few words, millions of messages have come from those words of the Lord Jesus. How many millions in times of trouble have been comforted by, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. We find in the Lord Jesus such beautiful words, words of kindness, words of love, words of help, words of instruction, words of comfort. And when we contemplate it, we have to agree with the officers of the chief priests in John chapter number 7, verse number 46. It said, never man spake like this man. We find beauty in Christ's words. The true beauty of Christ is found in his words. It's number two, it's found, we find beauty in Christ's actions. We find beauty in Christ's actions. I don't know if you're a student of history, but if you were an honest student of history, human history, you'd be forced to admit there is not much beauty found there in human history. If you're an honest student of history and you know what things actually look like, you'd say, there's not very much beauty here. It's a history full of greed and deception and murder and theft and arrogance and indifference and prejudice and violence and hatred and war. That's human history. But a person doesn't have to look very far, to look into the history of the, the world to find ugly actions. If you want to find ugly actions, just look at your own life. And you don't have to very, go very far back in your own life to find more ugly actions than you care to see. But do you realize in the life of Jesus Christ, you cannot find one single ugly action? All you can find there is beauty. Think of his patience with the disciples. 
As you read through the New Testament, don't you always get irritated at the disciples yourself? <laughs> that 2,000 years ago, you're thinking, can't you people see this? What's wrong with you? Did the Lord Jesus ever do that? He had such patience with his disciples. Think of the kindness that he showed to the beggars and the lepers. Consider his treatment of those whose life had been wrecked with sin. The woman at the well who was so outcast by society that she cannot even go to the well when everybody else is going to be there. She's got to go when nobody's going to be there. And what does the Lord Jesus do? Sits down and has a conversation with her. Goes there on purpose to have a conversation with her. A life wrecked with sin that nobody else would have anything to do with. It is a beautiful action. Think of the maniac of Gadara. I know it... If you can imagine having somebody like that living in our community. So what was their solution? Chain him up. And when he broke the chains, what's the solution? Well, just let him live out there in the tombs. And when the Lord Jesus comes, does he just leave him alone? He could have. The Lord Jesus goes and takes care of him. But what is the people's attitudes? Talk about some ugly actions. They're more worried about their pigs dying than they are about this man being set free and their whole community being free from this terror. They're more worried about their pigs dying. In the Lord Jesus, we find such beautiful actions. We find him constantly doing good, unselfishly thinking of others, even in the midst of his own great personal trial. We find true beauty not only in the Lord's words, but in his actions. Number three, we find true, true beauty in Christ in his attitude. We try and find true beauty in his attitude. You know, it's not very hard to find ugly attitudes in the world today. I try to stay away from it. I don't do too much social media because... You don't have to read too far in the post, right, before you find some really ugly attitudes in social media. Everywhere you go, what you find are very opinionated, very ugly attitudes that people have. What are the attitudes? Pride and anger and hatred and condescension and irritation and prejudice and insults and retaliation. It's part and part of our part and parcel of our society. Pure ugliness. Ask yourself, who had more right to be proud and angry and irritated than the Lord Jesus? He's God made flesh. He is being, all these stupid things are being done around him and they're constantly doing the exact same thing. He had every right in our thinking to be proud and angry and irritated. Now ask yourself, what attitude do we find in the Lord Jesus? There's a lot of attitudes we could put here, but I, the, the two main ones that I see are love and humility. Love and humility. Now I want you to think about the Lord washing the disciples' feet. You're familiar with that story, right? The disciples had forgotten to get some 
slave or some servant to be there to do that job. They'd forgotten that. And so they're all sitting around pointing at each other, look, you're the lowest guy on the totem pole. You've got to do it. Since we forgot, you've got to do that. And they're all pointing fingers back and forth at who should have to go and wash everybody else's feet. And then the Lord Jesus does this. Now, if you forget who Jesus Christ is, if you forget that he is the creator and sustainer of the world, if you forget that, or you forget and pass off the actual what they're doing, cleaning these people's feet, if you forget either one of those, it's not such a big deal. But if you remember and keep clearly in your mind both of those two things, that he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And how nasty that would be to wash the dirty feet of these disciples. If you can get those two things in your mind, you will not be able to get your mind to wrap around what's happening here. You say, how can this be? This is humility that we can't hardly even comprehend how the creator, the sustainer of the universe would wash his disciples' feet. This is the attitude of the Lord Jesus. The other attitude that we find is love. Instead of irritation and condescension, we find love. Over and over again, it says the Lord, he was filled with compassion. He's standing at Lazarus' grave. And you know what the people observe of the Lord Jesus while he's standing at Lazarus' grave? Behold, take a look at this. See how much he loved him. Behold how he loved him. We find beauty in the Lord Jesus. We do not find the ugly attitudes that we find are so common amongst men. We find beauty in the Lord's words, in his actions, and in his attitudes. Number four, we find beauty in his purpose and desire. We find beauty in his purpose and desire. I'm guessing you have seen this before. You have a mom and a little kid. The kid's a year old, maybe two years old. They've learned to walk, stand up, and they hear and understand what mom is saying. So they're a year and a half, two years old. And there's an end table. And there is a ceramic lamp on the end table. You already know where I'm going. And the little toddler toddles over there and does one of these numbers. And the mom says, no. And the kid looks at mom. And what does the kid do? The arm goes farther out. And mom says, no. Now the kid knows exactly what's going on. And as he reaches, the mom goes over and slaps the hand like that and says, no. And the little one starts crying like he's been beat with a stick. And when mom turns around, what does the kid do? Reaches for the lamp to touch it. Why? Because I'm going to touch that lamp because I want to touch that lamp. What's the benefit of touching the lamp? Nothing. Who owns the lamp? Mom. But she said no, but I want to do that, and I don't care what anybody else says. That's what I'm going to do. You say, yeah, that's just a two-year-old. Do we not see this in our world all around us? 
Do you not see this at your workplace? I wish that we could say that we outgrow this. But at your workplace and in your recreation and in yourself, do you not see this? I don't care what anybody says. This is what I'm going to do because that's what I want to do. This was not the purpose or desire of the Lord Jesus. John 5.30 I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Luke 22.42 Not my will, but thine be done. John 4.34 My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. His purpose was not the ugly self-will, but a desire to please the Father. We find true beauty in the Lord. We find it in his words, his actions, his attitudes, and his purpose and desires. Number five, we find true beauty in his results. We find true beauty in his results. Can I ask you a question? How often, how often do things turn out the way you planned them? You have these big plans, and you start your working your plan. How often do they turn out the way that you planned them? And the answer to that is, not very often. For too often, our ugly words and actions, attitudes, and purposes work together to produce one big, ugly mess. When this happens on a global scale, we all pay for it. You take someone like Adolf Hitler. You realize he promoted and got them to believe in what they called the Thousand-Year Reich. Anybody heard of the Thousand-Year Reich? The Thousand-Year Reich. What is that? A thousand glorious years of German dominance. Germany is going to be in their glory days for a thousand years. What did they really get? <laughs> Six years of misery deception, war, destruction. And then a country that was so devastated, probably almost unparalleled for the, what happened to them afterwards, this was a total mess. What you plan doesn't always work the way you want it. On a more personal scale, I won't ask you this, but how often has your plans, how often has your attitudes and all of your work wreaked havoc amongst your friends and your family and created in your world and their world a mess? The results were not what you were anticipating. Christ, on the other hand, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be the mediator between God and man. Now let me ask you this simple question. Are the results of that not beautiful? God and man are unreconcilably divided. Sin is a barrier. Man chose to sin and God just can't overlook it. There is no middle ground. There is no way back to God. But Jesus Christ came to save he dies on the cross in your place and settles the, your debt of sin. He's the mediator, the reconciler between God and man. 
It was a plan, plan brilliantly conceived and perfectly executed. And here we are. What is the result? We all sit here today knowing that our sins are paid for, knowing for sure that we're on our way to heaven. Why? Because of the beautiful life of the Lord Jesus, his results when he came to seek and to save that which was lost, his results were beauty, not ugliness. We find the beauty of the Lord in his words, his actions, his attitudes, his purpose and desires, in his results. Number six, we find beauty in his scars. We find beauty in his scars. If you get a bunch of men talking together, eventually, especially if they're construction type people or mechanics, eventually the conversation turns around to their scars. And everybody starts showing their battle wounds. I happen to have one right here. You know? <laughs> everybody has their own little scars and battle wounds. And we like to talk about the misery uh, and so forth. I don't know how many of you remember Carol's grandpa, Willis Beebe. Anybody remember Willis Beebe? He had scars and he loved to talk about them. He'd walk in there and he'd say, I'm cut from, he had a bunch of surgeries, I'm cut from here to here to here to here. And then he'd decide he wanted to show them to you. And you're like, okay, Grandpa, no thanks. <laughs> because scars are not beautiful. Scars remind us of dumb things that we did or mistakes that we made or very difficult trials or troubles, problems in our life. And we don't like them. We might like to brag a little bit about them, but the actual truth is they're ugly because they remind us of a difficult time of life. But my friend, in the scars of the Lord Jesus, we find beauty. Scars typically are not considered beautiful, but his are. We're a lot like Doubting Thomas. If we were given the chance, we would not want to put our fingers in the holes of his hands or put our hand, stick our hand in his side. We wouldn't want to do that, but we do sing with a full heart the words of the old hymn. Rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. Rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. Those scars in our precious Lord are marks of love. The disfiguration that they cause do not cause us to look away like scars normally do. They draw us closer to him. For by his stripes, we are healed. We find beauty in his words, his actions, his attitudes, his purpose and desires, his results, his scars. We also find beauty in his future. It's not unusual, I don't think, in my world, I doubt it's unusual in your world, to look at a situation, to see the things that are taking place, and project the future about what's going to take place. And it is not uncommon for us to say, that's going to get ugly. How many have ever said that? That's going to get ugly. You say, I see how this is going, and the future of that is going to be bad. That's going to get ugly. 
ugly. It is a very common thing in our society to watch these things. When we think of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they put the body of the Lord Jesus in the tomb, for what everybody could tell, the future did not seem very pretty. Three days later, all of that had changed. For Christ is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule and reign, and his beauty will be recognized for all eternity. It is a beautiful future. When David says, I desire to see the beauty of the Lord, part of what he's saying is the beauty is found in his words and his actions and his attitudes and his purposes and desires, his results, his scars, and his future. We can see that beauty. Before we finish this morning, very briefly, let's talk about what we should do about this beauty. We see the beauty of the Lord. What difference does that make to us? Three very quick things. Number one, we should worship him for his beauty. We should worship him for his beauty. To worship means to admire, to declare that this is the way it should be. This is the way that this is done properly. That's what worship is. I hate to say this, but too often our worship isn't worship. Because we don't really think that's the way it ought to be. Sure, it's the way the Lord should have done it, but it's not the way we have allowed the world's thinking to affect our thought on what is proper words. What are proper actions? What are proper attitudes? What is a proper desire? And really, we're over here, and the Lord is over here, and our worship breaks down because we're still partly convinced that what the world is saying is true. And true worship is when we look at the Lord Jesus and say, that is exactly how it ought to be. That is done right. In the beauty of the Lord, the first thing we ought to do is worship. Say, that is right, and that's the way it should be. And we honor him for his work and, the way, and his beauty. The second thing is we should benefit from it. We should benefit from his beauty. In the, most of the beauty of the world has no benefit. We might, it might be nice to look at, but there's no real benefit to us. But Christ's, benefit, Christ's beauty has benefit. We can profit from his words of wisdom. We can learn from his actions. We can bask in the love that he has for us. We can live in the victory that he provides. Because of his beautiful life, death, and resurrection, you have everything provided for you. So benefit, live in the benefits of his beauty. We need to worship him for his beauty. We need to live in the benefits of his beauty. And number three, we need to be conformed to his image. The Lord's life is a beautiful life but you realize our life should be patterned after his? We should desire to walk the exact same path of life that he did. We are not to try to imitate his life. A plastic copy is worth nothing. 
But Jesus Christ is the pattern, and God the Father has already determined that he would conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. So embrace that fact. Let God do the work that he wants to do in conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Let Christ be formed in you. Because it is a beautiful life. Worship him. Benefit from his beauty. Be conformed to his image. Because it is the true beauty of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.